Thank you for the music. Thank you for the music. I don't see you, Mari, but wherever you are, we will hear from you again. The people of Israel have been wandering 40 years in the desert. 40 years. Think about it. That is a full career in most people's lives. A full career. Most people, if they, if they work in one area of their, uh, of their expertise, 40 years is considered a full career. That's, the, that's, that's given you all. And after that, you can retire and we'll send you out to pasture. They were 40 years wandering in the desert. Everybody who had come to the borders of the promised land at the beginning of this trip and rejected the opportunity to go in has passed away. An entire older generation of Israel is gone. And only those who were in their 20s when this thing started are still there. They are the elders of the clan. They're in their 60s now. And they're at the border of the promised land. Only two people older than them are still with them. Caleb and Joshua, who are now octogenarians. And Joshua stands as their leader having replaced Moses. But God doesn't have them follow Joshua into the promised land. Did you realize that? He doesn't have them follow Joshua into the promised land. He has the priests carry the ark across into the Jordan, into the middle of the Jordan. And he tells the people, stay back. Stay back and wait for the hand of God to do what only God can do. And so God stops the water up at Adma, about 11, 12 miles away. And it piles up there like the waters of the Red Sea had piled up when they were children. And then they follow the ark of God, the ark of the covenant of God into the dry river bed and out onto the promised land. They pick up 12 stones in the middle so that they can pile up those stones on the other side. So that any kid who walks by the stones can say, Hey, Dad, hey, Mom, why is there a pile of stones here? And they can retell the story that this is the place where the waters were parted. We're at flood stage. When the, when the river was running hard and full, God blocked it up and allowed us to walk through on dry land. When they came to their first confrontation in the promised land, there it stood, menacing and huge with giant walls. There was the city of Jericho, the entry gate into the promised land on that new, that transjordan progression for the people of Israel. This was the first test. And he didn't have them follow Joshua then either. 
He put the priests and the ark out in front of the people and they marched around the city following the ark of the covenant. And they marched around the city following the Ark of the Covenant. They marched around the city following the Ark of the Covenant. They marched around the city following the Ark of the Covenant. They marched around the city following the Ark of the Covenant. Seven more times they marched around the city following the Ark that was a reminder of the covenant that they had with God. And then... He let them begin their sojourn in the promised land. Joshua was their leader, but they followed the covenant represented in the ark. Let's pray. Lord, I know that we just finished. We just praised And we just prayed, but the preacher needs your presence. Amen. David, after a long period had passed from this moment to that, would write the words that are on the screen. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due. His name. Not prescribe, because you're not described. You're not the one making it happen. You're simply ascribing what is already clear. It's the glory of God that you're ascribing to the one who is due this kind of glory. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Israel followed the ark representing the covenant that they held with God into the promised land. They followed the ark through the first battle in the promised land. I want to talk to you today about furniture movers and followers. Did your dad have a chair when you were a kid? Any of you old enough to remember Archie Bunker's chair? Get out of my chair, meathead. If you don't know what that means, just look it up on the internet. I'm sure it's there. My dad had a chair. It's kind of hard to see it in this picture. It looks better on mine up there. But you can see it's kind of big and fluffy on the sides. It was a lazy boy chair. When I was a younger kid, he had a green one. Then he got a blue one when the green one wore out. When I was a younger kid, my dad was away from the home. We would all kind of wonder whether or not we could actually sit in the chair. We were those kids who would come home before the parents at school. We'd get home at about 3, 3.30. And then we'd kind of try to decide whether it was okay to sit in dad's chair, even if dad wasn't there. And would he know that we had been sitting in his chair, even though he wasn't there to record the fact that we were sitting in his chair? If I sat in his chair, I made sure I didn't move anything on the, the stands that were around us. His pipe stand was over here. His ashtray was over there. Don't touch those things. Don't move those things, lest he know exactly where they are. Stay out of dad's chair. Stay out of dad's chair. He never actually 
asked me if I'd been sitting in his chair when he got home, but man, was I concerned that he would know. Because once he was home, that was his assigned position. And from that throne, he ruled everything. I want you to see the phrase that is, is coming on from David or is described of David in the book of First Chronicles, chapter 13. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the Ark of the Covenant to me? Interesting difference. The book of Chronicles is written when Israel gets back from Babylon. It's getting the, the, the facts back down for the people so that they understand their history because they're linked to this history. This history describes who they are as they go forward. They need to understand who they are. I think it is, it is a risk for people to lose track of who they are. Who is your family? Who, whose child are you? What is your, your connection to them? How was that when you were young? Those things not only describe, but they anchor who you are. The deficiencies and the efficiencies, the problems... And the successes, a lot of them come out of that anchor, that anchor family. Israel was given by the chronicler a history that would help them know who they were. And the chronicler tells us what Samuel doesn't, what the book of Samuel doesn't. That on this particular day, when furniture was being moved, David the man after God's own heart was afraid of God. The Bible says, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Let's see if that's true. So do you remember the story at all? Do you remember how that, that ark that they followed into the promised land was used by the Israelites as time went by? Do you remember that it became sort of a talisman? Sort of a lucky rabbit's foot. Do you remember that happening to it? One day, while uh, while the the Philistines were attacking them, their their neighbors that were to their west generally, but often encouraged them or incurred themselves into the middle of the tribe. They were they were on it again. They were about it again, and the the Israelites had lost the battle. So the elders gathered together and they said, "Hey, what happened? Why did we suffer a defeat at the hands of the Philistines?" And then they got a smart idea. They, would, they forgot their rabbit's foot. Which, as everybody knows, can't be that lucky. Because it wasn't for the rabbit. Let us bring the... You'll catch it in a minute. Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh. Our foot. Our rabbit's foot. Let us bring our talisman from Shiloh. Let us bring that thing, that, that thing that's supposed to carry God around with us. Let us bring Dad's chair. Because wherever dad's chair is, dad is there. So they decide to have the Ark of the Covenant brought from Shiloh so that he, God, would be with them and save them from the hands of their enemies. So Hophni and Phinehas, great paragons of virtue biblically, bring it out. They haul it out to the battleground and Israel joyfully shouts when it comes into the, into the battle area. So much so that the Philistines are fearful. 
But their leaders say, take courage and fight. And they do. And they win. And God's throne gets taken away. If God's throne is there, does he travel with it? I'm asking because most of us have God in some sort of a little box we carry around with us. A mental box, an emotional box, a knowledge box. Most of us have God wrapped up in some little box we carry around with us. We've, we've figured him out. We've put him in his box. We've closed the lid. We put a label on it and said, God in here if you ever need him. Fragile, handled with care. So they go and they get God's throne. And they go from followers to furniture movers. They just move it in to the, to the battlegrounds. And they say, okay now, let's go. And the Philistines defeat them. And the ark of God is captured. That's a problem. Because if where the throne is, there God is. If where the throne is, there the king is. King's gone. The king of the universe has been captured by the enemy of Israel. And he's gone. You see, if, if the throne forces the presence of the king and the throne's not here, has the presence of the king left as well? That's the logic of a God who's a talisman. That's the logic of a God who's a lucky rabbit's foot. You forgot your rabbit's foot. You forgot to say that prayer you always pray before you go out the door. You forgot to say that prayer you always pray before you go on a long drive. By the way, why only long drives? Most people get in accidents close to their home, not in L.A. If they, unless they live in L.A. And so when you drive out on the road, having forgot to have your prayer before you left your driveway, you find yourself driving down the road and say, Lord, I forgot to pray. Can you please guide us as we drive along the road now? Or you have your spouse prayer, or you have one of your kids pray, so you can keep your eyes open while you're driving, because that's not good. But God can protect you if He can protect you with your eyes open or you're closed. So you're stuck, you're in the middle of a controversy that you started by yourself. And you sit there arguing with your own logic because it's not really logical. It's kind of illogical. And since it's illogical logic, it's not logic at all. Because if God has to be hauled around in your box, what kind of God is He anyway? And if He fits in your box, He's much too little to be God. Even if that box is your brain. Remember, if you can fully understand God He is no longer qualified to be God. You are. And none of us want to see that. And it really doesn't matter how many letters we get after our names. The rule, the logic is still hard and fast. 
a God that can be packaged by a person is no God at all. Israel's lost the ark. God's gone over to the other side. There's furniture. It's not just being moved. It's been stolen. Was God captured by the Philistines? He shows up over there. Are you sure in your mind you don't have an image of God moving with that box? Because you know what happens while the box is there, right? They take the box and they decide they're going to put it in their own place. Can God be contained in spaces or places or nations or books? Careful on that last one. The Philistines brought the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the temple of Dagon. They come back the next day, having set them together in there and Dagon has fallen over on his face. Was that because God knocked him down? Or was there an earthquake during the night? Nobody felt but Dagon. You know, I believe God knocked him down. Was God there? Was he only there? You see, his throne is there, and where dad's seat is, that's where he sits. That's where he rules from, right? Is that right? Is God stuck on that box that Israel carries around? So when they took it out to the battle, were they really in control of God? When you say that prayer, you only say when you're traveling over a hundred miles, are you really in control of God in some manner, some way, some process? You have to be careful right here because why do you pray then? Are you giving orders? Are you making requests? You see, if your prayer feels more like you're able to control God, you're in charge again, and there we're all in trouble again because we don't all want you to be God. In fact, none of us do. We took a vote. You got no votes. The next day, after setting Dagon back up, he's fallen down again. He's across the threshold. His hands have been broken off. His head's been broken off. Now they not only got to set him back up, they got to repair him. It's kind of embarrassing when you have to repair your God. Ever had to repair your God? Have you ever had to repair your God? Has someone ever knocked your God over and some piece that you felt very important broke off? You ever had to repair your God? Because you thought you knew, but you didn't really. And, and somebody knocked his feet out from under him that were much more clay because they were of your making. And he fell down and a piece broke off. Kind of glue it back on. What kind of glue do you use to repair God? 
better be good because you have to keep that repair in place. Hopefully for the rest of your life. Or maybe, maybe you just made an idol, not a God. Maybe it was just a statue you had constructed to try to help you understand. It may have only been built of reason. You slapped together this reasonable piece and this reasonable piece and put a couple of all-seeing reasonable eyes in there and you set them out in the front window and you said, that's God. It's a scary place, isn't it? Because I just pushed you into the deep end and I took away your water wings and now you're trying to figure out what's going on. How, how do I do this if I can't keep God in my box? What if he gets out? Not only did Dagon get knocked over, rats started to invade the land. Pastor Tim and I, we get to do things that pastors get to do. We need to assign these things to Marlene from now on. She is the probie, right? We had an infestation of rats couple of years ago out there in the trash enclosure. It was, it was gnarly. Maybe 100, 150 rats in the trash enclosure. You'd walk in there and scurrying would happen. And these are not little mice. These are rats. They scurry kind of big and bulky, you know? So one of our church members gave us the formula for getting rid of the rats. It was not humane trapping. Sorry. It was mass murder. Tim did it. <laughs> Is it true? So next time he's preaching, remember that. And boo him. And then they started eating each other. Because they're just gross little creatures. Then we had to clean all the carcasses up. Yeah. They don't teach you this in seminary. They don't even warn you about this in seminary. Glad Marlene's not here. She doesn't know. Don't tell her. Did you see some more out there? Wheat. The rats came. Massive numbers of rats. Infesting the land. Tumors started breaking out on the people. People started dying in large numbers. They moved him from one city to the next. And each time he got moved, each time they took dad's seat and moved it to another place, terrible things happened. Did, did God go with the chair? Or was he trying to help the Philistines understand that this was not a God made of stone or sticks? This was a living, breathing, all-powerful God who created everything, controlled rats, controlled health, controlled their land. The Philistines decided... We've got to get rid of this guy. 
The hand of the Lord is heavy on the people. They gather up their elders. They said, what shall we do? They said, first of all, make a bunch of uh, gold rats and gold tumors as offerings to send back to the people of Israel. I don't know if maybe they hoped that that would give them the rats and the tumors, but whatever, they made gold rats and tumors. And then they said, get a couple of cows and a new cart and, and separate these cows, new cows who are new mothers, separate them from their babies and hook them up to the cart and send the ark back with those cows. And if it goes back to the land of Israel, in spite of the fact that it is normal for a mother with new, new babies to stay near the babies, if it goes back to Israel, we will know it was their God and not just a fluke. What did the Philistines learn that day? That Israel's God was real. And we don't stop to think very often about the transformations that happen to people in these settings. We don't know about the man on the street in Ashdod who said, wow, Israel's got a real God. Dagon fell on his face in front of this God. Dagon's hands are broken. Head, we had to repair them. We had to find some glue. And you know how hard glue is to find six, seven centuries before that's really invented. So, man, what a difficult job. You know, there might be people in heaven from this event. You ever considered that some people in Egypt started following God after the plagues fell in Egypt? And considered that these people now know Israel has a different kind of God. Not just a stick, not just a rock, not just a statue, gold-plated or not. It's real. And it seems to be connected to the seat. So I don't know how you deal with the seat. Send the seat back home. Solomon will ask when he's assigned to build the temple. Can a, can a temple, can a building, can it, can it really enclose God? Have you let God out of your box yet this morning? Have you considered what your box looks like? I know what my box looks like. My box built, is built mostly of logic. Over the years, I've tried to construct a box that's logically going to exp- express the, the parameters around which God can be expected to behave. The problem is when you read Scripture, He doesn't always stay within my parameters. I'd really like for Him to fix that because I like my box. It makes sense to me. And I want to make sense story. They said the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us for his hand is harsh toward who? And Dagon, our God. <laughs> He's beating up our God. We got to get him out of here. Our God's got a black guy, bloody nose, two broken hands, and a, his head fell off. So they sent him out on that cart, and he headed out towards Beth Shemesh. 
the people were reaping their wheat at the time. And they lifted their eyes and they saw the ark and they did what? They rejoiced. It was gone for just a short time. A couple of months. And it's back. The ark of God is back with the people of God. You know what that means? God is back. Was God ever gone? See, when you move God's chair, you don't actually control God's location. Right? So when the top gets ripped off of your box, or one of the walls gets kicked out, Did you ever actually have control of God? What's your box look like? Is it reason like mine? Is it a textual box? Have you, have you a few favorite texts that you built the walls of your box with and one really good one you put on the top? God is love. <laughs> Story over, enough said, that's it. I am not arguing that God is not to be understood logically. I am not arguing that God is not to be understood textually. He is just not incapacitated by them. Or manipulated by them. No matter how big the box. They were so excited that the ark was back. And then, the men of Beth Shemesh, just shortly after they're so excited for him to be there, say, who is able to stand before the Holy Lord God and to whom shall it go up? From us. Same thing Ashdod was saying is, where do we send this thing? How do we get rid of this God here? So they sent messengers to Kiriath Jerem and said, hey, we have something you'd probably really like. Let's, we have the Ark of the Covenant. It'd be awesome if it were your place. Why don't you come get it or we'll send it to you. We'll happy have some, we'll bring it over. We have Levites here. We can have them carry it to you. Everything will be great. You'll love it. You'll love it. You know why? Because these guys don't have the good sense of Dr. Indiana Jones. They opened it. Have you ever seen Raiders of the Last Ark? They hadn't. Again, Google it. I am a man of a certain age and generation. Google the rest. That's your generation. They had opened the ark. 70 people and 50 cows were killed. Why we need to know about the cows, I'm not sure. Open the top. Fire, I don't know, all the kind of stuff that happened when the Nazis opened it. They said, we can't have this among us. It's too dangerous. 
When God gets out of your box, he gets scary. Because you can't explain him anymore. You can't, you can't keep him in the corner where you hoped he would stay because he's gotten up and he's walked out of the corner. God had told them not to mess with this thing. Levites were there. They knew. They had carried it safely from where it had been, where it had stopped to where it was now. They had taken it off the cart. They had, they had had the proper offerings. They'd done everything right up to this point. And somebody went, hey, there's nobody around. Let's go look inside. If I were going to do this, I'd do it at night because I wouldn't want anybody to know I was sneaking a peek inside. They did. They went and they lifted the lid. Seventy people had gone out that night to look inside. Are they all going to be lost? Have you decided that God couldn't save a person who was sneaking a peek inside the ark? Do you get to decide? Is that one of the parameters of your box? Who gets in, who gets out? Hmm. If they show up, are you going to be mad? If they're there in heaven and they happen to live next door to you and you say, ooh, last thing I saw was opening the ark and... If that guy tells that story and he's your next door neighbor, you're going to be, God, I have a question. Don't worry, because he's running off in the opposite direction going, God, I have a question. I don't think anybody's going to be sure their neighbors should be there when they get there. So they send it off and it stays in Kiriath Jerem for 30 years. All through the rest of Samuel, all of Saul, into David taking over for all of the, of the, of the nation and finally capturing Jerusalem. Only then, only then, 30 years have passed. Remember, they approached the promised land and they, were, they refused to go in and they went back out into the desert and 40 years passed. And then they followed the ark across Jordan and around the walls of Jericho and followed God into the promised land. They were followers. But after they got used to it being around, after they had God figured out and they knew that he just went wherever this box was, they started just moving the furniture around so that they could make God where they wanted him to go, where they wanted him to go. And they would just, when they needed needed God somewhere, they would just call for a furniture mover and the Levites would show up and they would haul it off and they would set it down where they wanted it to be. And then they, they'd pick him up again and they'd haul him over to another place and they'd set it down where they wanted him to be because God had become an idol that could be manipulated by humans to do their bidding. Have you ever done that? Has your prayer life ever declined to that point? Have you ever tried to make God do what you wanted? People say, you know, if you say, Lord, your will be done, you're chickening out on your prayers. No, no, no. You're being realistic about how much you know and how much God knows. So David decides to move the ark after 30 years have passed. Hmm, I wasn't expecting that to show up, Sam. David decides to move the ark into the city. 
He gets into Jerusalem. He says, there's nothing better to do now than to put the temple of God here in this new capital city for all of Israel to come. Imagine what it will be like when people come for Passover and they all come to Jerusalem. Every tribe represented around here in this awesome place where there's plenty of water, where there's plenty of room. On top of this hill will be this grand temple where the, where the God of the universe dwells. Dwells? He told them, build me a temple so that I might dwell with them exclusively. At the end, in Revelation, it says that God moves here on the planet after the planet is cleaned up and rescued, that the temple of God becomes fixed here in this place. Does that mean he's here exclusively? Did we just knock out another wall on your box. You see, you cannot limit an omnipresent God to a presence. He's here and over there too. He's right there and he's over there. And he's back there and he's over there and he's over there and he's over there. And he's actually back there and he might actually be a Dutch Brothers right now. And you and I get to be okay with that. What's he doing to Judge Brothers on the Sabbath? Not my problem. Not yours either. Are we messing up your box? I'm really trying to kick all the walls down on your box and even take the lid off. Because he can't be contained in a box of our making any more than he could be contained by the spot where the ark had been delivered. God is not manipulable by human beings. He's bigger than that. David has a good idea. I think it's a great possibility for uniting all of Israel around worship. So he calls the furniture movers. They put the ark on a new cart because the Philistines had done that and that seemed to work for them. Have you thought about the logic of this? I know. Let's do what the Philistines are doing. They seem to have it all together. They put it on a new cart. Never been moved on a new cart before, ever. Except when the Philistines did it. I think the Philistines got a pass because they didn't get the instructions that Israel had gotten. Maybe this is what God wants now. Maybe he wants us to move him on a cart. Or maybe I should just check and see if he's ever said what he actually wants. This week I had the blessing of having a Bible study with a young person. I really enjoy studying with children. This this guy would, if he hears this, I'm sorry I called you a child. He wouldn't want to be called a child. But yes. And we came to Romans chapter 12 and that passage where it says, be not conformed to the world. You see, they thought, well, the Philistines figured out a new way to move God around, so let's put him on a new cart and haul him that way. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A mind renewed by the word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of people who understand God and have studied his word and have prayed a long time and have spent a lot of time walking with him. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the changes in who you are and how you, how you step out and present yourself in the world. Being renewed in mind, not conformed to the world. Transformed, in fact. Israel said, well, this, this seems to have worked, so let's try that. And they put him on a new cart. They, they put the Ark of God on a new cart. And then the Levites must have set him up there. They're the only ones allowed to handle the priests and the Levites. They're it. That's it. So they put it on a new cart, and they start heading out for, for Jerusalem for, for Jer- to, to fulfill David's wishes. And they got to Nacon's threshing floor, and apparently Nacon's threshing floor had not been paved lately it was all bumpy and ruddy, and it was, you know, it looked like stretches of 680, just <laughs> as you went across. And the cart, without good springs, they should have thought about that. If you're going to put God in a box, at least have some good shocks under that box. Hit a bump. And God was about to fall off the cart. Can you blame Uzzah for rescuing God? This is a this is a particularly difficult passage for most of us. Uzzah puts his hand up and stops the ark from falling. Like peeking in the cap. Something, some power, some presence. Oh God. Oh God. Oh. And as it dies, God breaks out. And as it dies, you see, Azza was going to save the magic box from getting broken. I mean, who wants their magic box to get broken? I mean, it could have fallen off onto the floor. I mean, these. These threshing floors are stone. That's what they're about. It's being able to get your weed out separated without getting a bunch of dirt in it. And so it was going to fall on the rock and be broken. Unless, of course, God could handle this himself. How much does he really need me? How much does he really need you? He invites us to participate. But does he really need us? Is there some piece of God that's broken so that he needs our hands? Or is there some part in us that's broken so he uses our hands? The magic box was about to fall and break. I mean, God's in there, right? He's on there or something about that has God with it because it died. Do you think Uzzah has no chance of salvation? If you meet him in heaven, are you going to ask to leave? I just thought I'd ask. 
So what would the headline be the next day if Uzzah doesn't? They bring, this, they bring the Ark of the Covenant up to be presented there in the sanctuary. The priests take the Ark of the Covenant on those long poles and they head into the new tent that David has constructed there in Jerusalem. As they walk in, David shouts, and three cheers for Uzzah! He saved the ark! Whoop, whoop, Uzzah! Whoop, Uzzah! Whoop, Uzzah! Yeah? When you put it like this, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I would like for Uzzah to have not died. From the looks on your faces, most of you would have liked for him to make it too. But I am not willing to condemn Uzzah to hell for a reflex. I am aware of what it did to David that day. Bible tells us. The chroniclers made sure we would know. And therefore David was afraid that day. Saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? It's too dangerous. It's too scary. Do you know the primary reason people don't follow God? He's too scary. He could ask us to change something about what we believe. He could ask us to do something we don't want to do. It's way too scary. It's way too complex. It's way outside the realm of the things I like to control. He refuses to be controlled. Or even to be explained. Or even to be fully understood. David says, I don't know what to do. We followed him into the promised land. Right across the river, around the Jericho, all that stuff was cool. But then when we tried to take him out to battle, he didn't come. We had the box there and everything, and he didn't come. He just won't do what I tell him. Can't believe it. But after some time, after some research, it's clear he did some research, after he resets his understanding of who's in charge here. And he gets the priests and the Levites and he tells the priests and the Levites, you guys carry the ark because that's, that's the only person who's supposed to carry it. And oh, by the way, it's not a new cart. It's priests carrying it and so they carry it and they make sacrifices on their way and David dances before the Lord and he makes his wife mad at him. He doesn't care. It's a different story, different discussion. Sometimes you make people mad at you. And then he writes, as only David 
seems to be capable of. A song that tells a story that weaves a theological point of view that helps us remember, helps us hold on, helps us store up what this God is about. He can't be explained. But bits of the story get revealed. And that's when he says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. As he has brought the Ark of the Covenant in, and he set it in the Holy of Holies. And oh, by the way, when did the Holy of Holies get to be the Holy of Holies? Not until God moved in. Up to that point, it was just a little chamber in the back of the tent. We've wandered through a big stretch of Scripture. I hope you'll take a look at some of it yourself. Maybe think about it this afternoon. But I wanted to leave you with just this one last bit. Are you following the God of the covenant. You know what following means, right? You go where you're led. You're not in charge. You're not leading. You're following. Are you following the God of the covenant? The God who spoke the covenant, offered his promises, swore that he would save you, that he would provide the lamb, and then did, and then showed up on the planet, became like us, though not exactly like us, because he was different. But we don't really know how he was different because we got 200% and we don't know how to make 200% into one person. He died so that the covenant could find its fruit in your salvation and mine. Are we following him? Or have we boxed him up and moved him around? Are we just taking him from place to place, hoping he'll bless what we're doing? Are we just showing up, doing our thing and saying, God, would you bless that? And then we go over to the next thing, we do that, and we say, God, would you bless that? And then we do something we know probably we shouldn't have done, but we say, God, would you bless that? Or would you forgive that? Or would you clean that up? Because I've made a mess of that. Are you following? Are you just carrying God around, trying to use him as a talimad, talib, I can't even say it, a rabbit's foot. Are you just hauling him around to fix things and to bless things you're doing? Or are you following him into what he's doing? Because that's the only difference when you put your faith in him, he gets to be the leader. And you get to, you get to be the follower. And he invites us not just to follow from the back. He invites us to yoke ourselves together in the front. Yoking means... We're following because 
He's clearly a lot more powerful than we are. But we get to see what's coming as far as our little eyes can see. I would invite you to be a yoke mate with Jesus. Trusting in the covenant promises He's made and fulfilled. And let Him out of the box. It's so hard for me to crack open the logic box. It's so hard for me to say, God, I know that my little brain can't understand you because I so want to. I want to keep gathering gathering pieces and forming the picture that is the million-piece puzzle I'm never going to complete. But I keep trying. I keep wanting to. And I don't think it's bad to try to understand God. I just think it's bad to think I have. Because when I think I have, I get out my box tape, put it across the top, lay down the sides, pick them up. And use them to get what I want. Let's pray. We have but a human brain, Lord. And just just reading the things of the New Testament and the Old Testament have us confused. Just hearing about us bothers us, Lord, because we don't understand exactly why that happened. We know that all Israel was watching and we know that you have reasons we don't understand. And we know that you have declared that you are good and you are the express image of love and that Jesus is the best picture we'll ever have of you this side of eternity. With all of that, we're still broken and we're still confused and we still need a Savior. Let us fall on that rock and be broken out of our habits, out of our expectations, out of our sin. In Jesus' name.